kind of a sobering way to start, isn't it? Um, I'm sure that you have all um, seen different social experiments such as that from time to time, but it's, um, it's quite staggering that that one happened to be all pastors. That's a very, very sobering presentation. And, you know, if we think that, you know, if pastors who are at a conference um, together could walk out and, um, and then ignore the needs of someone around them, if they could do that, then all of us at one time or another are, um, are uh, able to be guilty of that. Um, there's an interesting um, statue that I found. I, there's an Ontario sculpture, uh, sorry, sculpt, sculptor, that's not the right way to say it, named Timothy P. Schmaltz. This is called Whatsoever You Do. In 2013, this statue by this Ontario sculptor was stolen from and then returned to the Church of St. Stephen in the field. I guess the thief had had a change of heart. Perhaps he finally understood, you know, when he looked at the statue a little bit more, he felt convicted by what it represented. Maybe he read about what it meant. And then he actually maybe saw that every face was the face of Christ and that to do good to others was to do good to Christ. Whatever the reason, he, he or she, I say he, I don't know why I do that, but he or she brought the statue back. But what about us in this place today? Do we, do we see the face of Christ in every person that we meet? I mean, we, we even crossed the aisles and shook hands today. And we do that in a friendly manner, but do we ever take the time to look at somebody and do we see the face of Christ in them? My hope is that in looking at today's scripture today, um, that our conscience will be stirred again and cause us to question if we serve others as if they were God. And the words we're going to zero in on today are the five, the last five words of this scripture, the words, you did it to me. I remember many years ago, we have these friends that live in California now who um, traveled with the celebrant singers, and they led um, a lot of the teams in, the, in their years there. They led a lot of teams to a lot of countries. You know, anybody remember the, the celebrant singers from way back in the day? They're, they were really popular. Um, in one of their trips to India, they got a private meeting with Mother Teresa. And I'll never forget sitting around in the living room and having them relay what happened during that time. You know, you're, you're just on the edge of your seat because you, you're kind of, you, you can't be there. You want to know what it is that went down and what was said when they were in the room with her. And, you know, they asked her how she was able to give her life completely away for the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta. And she referred to this scripture, um, that Je you know, these words of Jesus that have now been so widely associated with her. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren. And then she held up her hand and she said, you did it. What a powerful illustration that is. Our hands are always right before us. And that has never left me. That has always been so strong in my life. I wasn't in that room, but I remember it as if I was the way that they shared it. You did it to me. And so it's these words that I want to leave you with today and this illustration. So we're going to talk about those five words as we look a little bit at this scripture. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the background and the context and all that stuff today because time doesn't really permit. And I know that that kind of flies against all of the things that you're supposed to do, but you're going to forgive me for that because we really, I really want to just get to those five words. 
But it is important to note that Jesus is not saying in this passage that doing good deeds have earned them salvation. That's important to know. It's not about earning our right to heaven. If it was, how could we ever really know if we measure up? I mean, how would we know if we're in or we're out? Sometimes we're good, right? Sometimes we're not so good. I mean, I can be really patient with that really worn out and tired waiter and then get in the car to drive and I am the worst. I, when someone cuts me off or somebody's not driving properly, I, am, I get so upset. I mean, I'm in the, in the car and I'm saying, is there anybody other than me left in the world that knows how to drive? Move it, get over. You're not supposed to do that. And I'm all frustrated. I'm all frustrated. And you know what? My husband can attest to this. You do not want to see me in a furniture store when the furniture, when the, you know when you walk through the front door and the salesman starts following you? He's coming, he's weaving through all the couches and the fridges and he's coming for you. And I'm like, I just, I'm done. I'm out of there. I don't want to be nice to that person. And that's terrible. And I confess that. Sometimes I am really nice. and Sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I'm really great to strangers and really crappy with my own family. Anybody, anybody can attest to that? Nobody wants to say, yes, come on. Let's be honest here. This is about being honest. It's easier to be nice with other people sometimes. I don't, know, I don't know how we could ever measure our goodness. If, if it was goodness and good deeds, that kind of thing that earned our way in, how would we measure it? You know, what kind of percentage would we need to get in? Would it be plotted on a bell curve? How would it work? See how silly all of that sounds, that we can earn our way? We are saved by grace and grace alone, but our good deeds are the outpouring of a heart that's made right with him. James teaches that faith without works is dead. How we live and how we treat others is the evidence of God at work in us. Make no bones about it. Jesus is clearly saying that how we treat others who are more vulnerable than us is the clear indication of whether we have received his grace or not. Bottom line. So now let's look at those five words. Words that are prefaced with words that he said, Truly I say unto you. And whenever you read that, you know that he is making, about to make a statement of pivotal importance, something that's very critical. So we sit up and we take notice. Truly I say to you. And then he begins to say that. And we're going to work through those five words. Did it to me. So the first one. You. You. Not someone else. We can't just look at the needs of the vulnerable and shake our heads and think that's so terrible, and wish that somebody else would do something about it. You are the someone. You can do something. You can't just point your finger and wonder why they, as we've talked about those elusive, whoever they are, that wonder why they don't do something. Did you ever notice that when you point your finger, what happens? Three more are pointing back at you, right? It's you, despite your own need. I know that you have your own stuff. Everybody has their stuff. And you may feel, you may feel, and may be justified so, that your stuff is worse than somebody else's. But you know what? It's been said that if we could trade problems with somebody else, we might just want our own back pretty quickly. Because we really don't know what other people are going through. Everyone's pain and trouble and worry is significant to them, and it's painful troublesome and worrisome to them. Today, as you sit in this place, you may even say, I'm one of the least of these. 
but you are still called to serve. There are so many hurting, lonely, and in need. Who better to serve them than someone who's known a bit of that hurt and that loneliness? But even beyond that, even if your life is completely together and if you've never known sorrow or pain, people's greatest need is to know Jesus. That to know that he's for them and not against them and that he wants a relationship with them. And so if you sit in here today and you have a relationship with him, then you already have something to give despite your own need. Secondly, it's you despite your own weakness. You are much stronger than you think today. If God calls you to do something, we, we always say, he will equip you to do it. And that's not a trite saying because he does. In our weakness, he is made strong. We all need to stop using our weakness as an excuse to not help other people. People don't want all the answers. They just want to be heard. And if you have Jesus in your life already, then you have something to offer them, your story, your listening ear, your willingness to come alongside, and it means much more than you might think. God works in this world through his people. There is no plan B. If you're not willing to reach out, somebody else will but you will miss out on the miracle of what God is doing. It's okay to pray, God, be with that person or help that person, but chances are, if God is already talking to you about that person, then he's also asking you to do something about it. And it's important not to get sidetracked with excuses, even the ones like not having enough money or time. God knows your weakness. Today, you could say, I'm completely immobile. There's nothing that I can do. But you know what? I still think that there's something that you can do because you can write a note, fashion note writing. People seem to really like getting a note today in the mail. <laughs> you can pick up the phone. You could text somebody. If all you can do is gen genuinely is to pray, then God knows that. But in other situations, God may be calling you to serve the least of these. Now, God doesn't call us to be involved in every single situation, everything that crosses our path. Please don't get me wrong. He wants us to use wisdom as well. It might not be the best thing to hand somebody that you pass on the street just money. We need to use our wisdom. But let's not use excuses to not serve. There are people that he puts directly in our path. And in him, if we will trust him with our lives, he will give us the resources and the strength to be able to help them. Which leads us to the second word. So we had you and we had did. Now we have did. You did. Did is, it's not a passive word. I like that it implies action. It doesn't say you prayed for me. It doesn't say you had nice thoughts about me. It doesn't say you intended to do something but you got busy and then you forgot. It says you did. Prayers are nice, like I said, but God calls us to put our hands and our feet to our prayers. 1 Corinthians 13.1, you, most of you know it very well, and it says that without love, we're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Ouch. I don't know about you, but I don't want to sound like that. Despite all of our piety without love, we are just noise. You may say, I love everyone always. And that might be true, but real love is evidenced in action, not just in words. God is our example, who loved the world so much that he gave 
his only son. He did that for you. God did, and now we need to do. And it's important that we do for others. We spend so much of our time time thinking about ourselves and, and gathering for ourselves and working on our own personal happiness, trying to be the best version of ourselves and fill our bucket and all that stuff that I've talked about before. But you know what? We can't just spend all of our time doing what really just pleases us and then wonder where God is when hard times come. In Isaiah 58.3, the people said, Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then in verse 6, God calls them out. And he says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of oppression and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Basically, he's saying that because they cared more for themselves and others, that they themselves had suffered the consequences. True love for God means loving people created in his image as much as we love ourselves and seeking justice for them. There's there's no way around it. Jesus demonstrated his love for us by doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and now he calls us to do for others. So you did, and now we're at it. So what is the it? What's the it factor? The it in this scripture is the feeding and the quenching of thirst, the hospitality, the the clothing, the visiting, the coming alongside. In Jesus' day, the needs were very obvious everywhere people went. There were strangers along the road with no place to stay. There were lepers who were banned from community. They were cast away. They were in pain physically and emotionally. There were destitute widows and orphans with no way to feed themselves. We see over and over again the blind sitting by the side of the road begging for food, the crippled and lame, no way to work and no money. There were prisoners, of course. Then there were the socially ostracized of that day, the ones with no social status, the women, the children, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. They were the marginalized of Jesus' day and the ones he spent the majority of his time with. Today, these same types of needs exist, just, just on a larger scale, and for the most part, as we live our lives here in this region, really quite hidden, especially if we don't follow the news. Some people say the news is it's too much, and so they, they turn it off because they don't, they don't want to hear all of the pain. Globally, we see massive need, don't we? We talked about some of those things today. There's so much. Right now, there are three billion people that are living on less than $2.50 a day. Staggering. One billion don't have access to affordable and safe drinking water. And some of those are our own indigenous people. 775 million people are illiterate. Over 11 million children die every day from preventable disease. There are now over 65 million displaced refugees in our world goes beyond not having a home. The need is huge. And it's estimated that today there are over 45 million people who are victims of human trafficking worldwide. And at EPC, we support many missionaries who are in turn living in places that we can't go and ministering to those that we can't get to. But let's look locally at the marginalized who are right here in Oakville. That might seem like an oxymoron to you marginalized or needy Oakville. 
They're here. According to the 2017 study done by the Community Development Halton, Oakville, no surprise, has the 10th highest medium income in Canada. So we're not shocked by that. But out of the communities of Oakville, Burlington, Halton Hills, and Milton, Oakville has the highest poverty rate. So who are the poor? Well, first of all, one group that comes to mind is the, are the families that are led by single moms. In Oakville, we have just over 1,300 single moms living in poverty. With limited resources, they're forced to make tough choices in paying for their rent, their food, their transportation, and their clothing. Stats, in fact, show that they spend half of their income on shelter and food alone, often resulting in them having to rely on food banks to make ends meet. Food security is a constant challenge for them, not to even mention the emotional and the mental exhaustion and stress that comes from raising children on their own. And then there are the newcomers to Canada, most of them being visible minorities. In Oakville, we have just over 10,000 people who are considered visible minorities. Newcomers face challenges beyond food and housing security, as we know. They are assessing, you know, their foreign credentials, seeing what, you know, they, they were trained in, in one country for one thing and they can't uh, get work in that area. They're looking for some kind of an employment. Um, some of them, a lot of them are trying to learn English at the same time that they're trying to find that employment and make their way on the bus systems and in the stores when everything is foreign. There are educational and all kinds of cultural differences. And above that, they miss their family. And there's so many needs. How about the seniors? In Oakville, 35% of seniors are living in poverty. Some have no workplace pension, no RSPs, RRSPs, no investment to, to rely on. Some show up at Kerr Street Mission when we serve breakfast there because beyond their economical needs, economic needs, they have that need for community to get together with other people and socialize, especially with ones that speak their language. There are lots of other marginalized people, of course, still have the prisoners. There's victims of human trafficking or exploitation or abuse. There's our indigenous people, those with physical or mental challenges, the sick, and the LGBT community. Mother Teresa said being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think, is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. At EPC, we minister to many. At EPC, we minister to many of the least of these. Under the direction of Kelly Sarian, we serve breakfast at the Kerr Street Mission on the first Saturday of every month. And we do this, we've been doing this for years. And this is intentional. We want to build relationships with the clients that, that are there. We want to know them by name, and it's really amazing to go in there and, and to make conversation with people that you've known for a long time. They know you by name, you know them. I love seeing them out in the community and being able to say, you know, hey, you know, and call their name, and they light up. And that's intentional. Instead of just feeding, we want to build those relationships. EPC is also part of the Neighbor Care Network, which is run out of Kerr Street Mission. And that connects trained care planners with people who are in need. And what the care planner does is they sit with the person in need and they do an assessment of not just their financial needs, but of their emotional ones as well. And then they try to connect them 
to the systems that can help them. Our care planners here have gone above and beyond in finding housing, helping move people into houses, um, helping them find jobs, and, and just being a listening ear. It's up close and it's personal and it really makes a difference. We have a ministry here that serves newcomers, our Perfect Peace Ministry run by Rhoda Chen and her team. And as a church, most of you know that we do a big collection once a year of household items and furniture and clothing and everything that you know, we could ever think of, and that goes to them. And, but you know what? Rhoda and her team are serving them all year long. And they're not just meeting those material needs. They're giving them community and emotional support, prayer support, telling them about a God that loves them. And they get to see Christ's love in action. We have a wonderful ministry to seniors led by Mary Farrow and her team. Do you know that we have nine services in five different seniors' facilities every month? That's incredible. This is helping the elderly know that they're not forgotten and that Jesus can fill their life with peace. We have a response to human trafficking through 4-1, which seeks to abolish human trafficking in Canada through public awareness and survivor support. And I do a lot of speaking all around our area on this and collect a lot of money for first response bags, um, these bags that are given to women as they are exiting their exploitive situation and have need of some essential items. And our own Time Out Ladies Connection Group has been so faithful to collect money for this and much more. We reach into our community with things like our Kids' Night Out, where kids are frequently fed by Pastor Ashley and her team. I love that. that they, they have fun, but they also can get a meal sometimes. We do, we, we do that with love. We just want to you know, minister to their needs. We also do one of, we call them outreaches, like big days. Um, like our, in December, we had our family past a Christmas supper event reaching into the community. And we just had a PA day camp. And soon, it's going to be time for Little Oaks to start up again. Seven solid weeks of day camp reaching into our community. Many of you have sponsored kids to come to that camp who would never have been able to come otherwise. And at our PA day camp, we gave away a couple weeks for free to kids and to see kids from the community who don't come to our church so excited that they're going to get to come to camp for the summer is absolutely amazing. We do a lot as a church for sure and if you're interested in knowing about any more about those wonderful opportunities that I've mentioned today, I'd love to chat with you. Please come see me. But hear this, this serving the least of these, it wasn't meant to be a program. It just wasn't. And that's why I'm not concerned with, as the pastor in charge of community connections, in coming up with some more wonderful, crazy, wild ideas or programs or things that we can do, that I'm going to come to you and say, this is what we're doing, come and sign up. The passion of our heart, the passion of my heart, is that you would grab hold of what this kingdom living looks like. And that you would go and live king, kingdom, like a, the kingdom missionally wherever you are, wherever God has already planted you. That in your neighborhoods and in your schools, in your workplace, um, where you walk and shop and eat and where you hang out and, and just all the places that you come in contact with on a daily basis. 
where you pursue, pursue all of your interests. It could be at the gym. You don't need the church to help you to find someone to serve. You don't need the church. That's the wrong mentality. Too long that people have looked. What is the church going to do? No, that's not the way we want to think. It's what am I called to do? You need to start thinking because God has uniquely qualified each and every one of you with different gifts and abilities. He has empowered you. He's equipped you. He's planted you where you are for a reason. It's not by accident where you live. It's not by accident where you work out. It's not by accident where you work. God has put you there. And so we need to stop looking to the church to come up with some, some way of serving. Yes, we serve together, and it's great to do that. But listen to God's voice and find out what he wants you to do. You just need to open your eyes and ask God to see the need around you and to go and do something. There are so many needs. So that's, that's the it. You did it, and now we're at two. This word is an interesting one. Two others. To Jesus. It's not about me or the way it makes me feel. It's a movement away from me and towards other people. And so this kind of leads me to one of my biggest pet peeves. And this is where you might think I'm not so nice. Remember we talked about sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm not? Kind of bad in this area because I, I do have a pet peeve. It actually frustrates me when I meet people who really don't care about real need as much as they care about their need to feel good about what they're doing. And I think that it bothers me so much because I've been there myself. I still may be there myself at times because we're all human. But there's so many people that just want to feel good about doing something. They usually throw around good deeds, oftentimes their money, but they don't really care about individuals and their story as long as they look good and as long as they feel good about themselves for being an altruistic person. The kind of person who wants to help those people without ever asking those people what they actually need. I come from, you know, from the work that I do with anti-human trafficking, one of the things that's very, very much in the forefront all the time is being survivor-informed. When you're trying to open a home for victims of human trafficking, you don't just say, okay, we're just going to open, we'll just do our little thing, we'll provide them this, 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 and this, and that'll be good. Assuming you know their needs. You need to know, you need to be survivor-informed, you need to know what they need. What has been their experience? And it's like that in every area of life. You need to talk to people to find out what their actual experiences and what their actual needs are. So I've seen a lot of this in my lifetime, and it does frustrate me. Up close and personal, down in the trenches, in it for the long haul, that's too messy for a lot of people. Because people's stories are so unique. They're so complex. They're so painful and they're so beautiful all at the same time. We really need to hear people's stories. No one was ever really helped by a handout. It's a hand up that people need. 
They need to know that they matter, that their lives matter to God and that their lives matter to you. They want to know that you know their name. And sometimes they need to hear their name being said. Real need, real need is never met by just throwing money at issues. You see, it's not about us and how we feel. To really serve the least of these as Jesus did, we need to really see people up close and personal, and then our two will actually really be for them. So you did it to, here we are at me. Isn't that neat how we said save me for last? I think Jesus might have planned it that way. Anybody getting it? <laughs> Not me first, me last. Remembering, so, so first of all, I want to say, obviously, the me in this is not me, it's Jesus. You did it to me, he's saying. Remembering who it is that we serve is a really great buffer against two things that can really take us off the rails as we begin to serve other people. The first thing that can happen, if we forget, is that we can experience disappointment. You may have experienced this. Sometimes people are not as needy as they first appear to be. Or they're not grateful, but instead they're a little bit greedy. You know, you give them an inch and they take a mile. Needy people will let us down sometimes. Um, many, many years ago, in our other church in St. John's, there was a young family. The, the couple was divorcing, and they were very, very poor. And the mother had a couple of young kids. The oldest was the same age as our oldest. And I, one day, I really felt, you know that, I really felt like I should do something nice for the, them, the mother and the kids. And, and so back in the day when it was okay to take kids to McDonald's, um, you know, and feed them Happy Meals and all that, it was easy to do. I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them there. So yeah, she was all enthusiastic about that. And, and we, she, had, she did have a little old beater car and she met me at McDonald's and I didn't bring my kids because I couldn't really afford to pay for everybody. But I wanted to just pay for them. So I ordered her food and myself and the kids, their happy meals, they were playing with their toys. They were all happy. That was good. And during the conversation, she mentioned that she didn't have enough money uh, for gas, that her tank was, you know, pretty much on, on fumes. And so, you know, of course, what do you, you know, I'm, I, I said, I'll, I'll fill your tank with gas. And so we went out to the gas station and, and as we were filling, I think it was one of the kids that first kind of opened their mouth because... They usually tell the truth. I found out it was the fourth time that week they'd been at McDonald's. Huh. And, and it was kind of, uh, I, I, they didn't really need it that bad. You know, why couldn't she have mentioned that before? Well, I never really asked her. You know, uh, I didn't ask her what she needed. I, I just thought I was doing something really good and wouldn't I feel really good about myself for, for taking them to McDonald's. And it really ticked me off. I felt really, really disappointed. And that might have happened to you before as well. But you know, the antidote to disappointment is to remember that ultimately, whatever we give, whatever we do, is ultimately to Jesus. It's a gift for him. And you know, when we do that, it really guards against um, the disappointment. It changes everything because we can let go of the outcome, serve him and his people by our actions, not to say that I shouldn't have asked. I should have asked. And so that's a reminder. Always ask. <laughs> also, if we don't keep Jesus in the forefront, the good that we do can quickly become about us, how people think about us, what they say about us. Because our human nature really likes praise. It does. You like it. Don't tell me you don't. People, people like it when people say nice things about them. They just do. I don't think that we're really honest if we 
say any other, anything otherwise. But you know what? People will always disappoint us. They won't always notice the things that we do and pat us on the back. Or guess what? They might actually, out of their own conviction, criticize us. Because people who are not doing anything are always the most critical of people who are, right? If we're looking to be praised by people, we're going to end up being disappointed. But when we remember that God sees each and everything that we do in his name, no matter how small, we will have the deep satisfaction of knowing that we've made our Heavenly Father smile and that his words in the end of our life, well done, will not disappoint. Secondly, if we don't keep Jesus in the forefront, we can experience some despair. Because if the needs of people around us are too many, and we feel like we're their only lifeline, you know, we're the ones that are always giving, we can quickly experience burnout. If we feel that the weight of this responsibility to be the only person meeting all of their needs and that we have to meet them all, we're going to get tired and we're going to despair because we will quickly realize our own limitations. But when we remember again that we're doing this for Jesus and we know ultimately that he's the one who holds them and is helping them, then it frees us up to do only our part. We can stay in our lane and release all the rest to him. It guards against a savior complex. It helps us slow our roll. It keeps us from growing weary in well-doing. When we keep our eyes fixed on the one who calls us to sacrificial love, grace, and mercy, it guards against despair. So as we conclude, in as much as you did it to one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The least of these are all those with less resources and less options than we have. Everyone who is overwhelmed by life, overwhelmed by support. And while we say that we love everyone, our actions, or rather most of the time our inaction speaks louder than our words. True religion in God's eyes is not something reserved for Sundays. Imagine that. This thing that we do when we come into this building, this is not church. We are the church wherever we go. God doesn't care about what goes on in this room on Sunday if we leave this place and fail to show his love to those that need it. And that sounds harsh. And if we look at the scripture farther on past verse 40, we're going to see some pretty harsh words of Jesus when he says, you know, in as much as you did not do it to me, you, did, you know, did not do it to them, you did not do it to me. And he seems to equate, you know, our eternal destiny with how we cared for others. This is harsh stuff. In Amos 5, 21 to 24, God says some more harsh words. He has a lot of harsh words, not, not for, for people who are doing their best, not for people that love him and are following him. His harshest words were ones who should know better. You know, over and over again, we see him talk to the Pharisees. They should have known better. The scribes, the teachers of the law. He talks to the Israelite people who knew his mercy and his grace. And he talks in his word to us, the people that should know better. So in Amos 5, verse 21 to 24, God says these words. They weren't practicing justice. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. 
righteousness like a never-failing stream. And those words sound a lot like something else that God said in Isaiah 1, verses 14 and 15. He said, Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, God? (laughs) They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. And then in verse 17, he says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God is not mixing words here. Sometimes the truth hurts. It is painful. It is hard to hear. If we say we love God and we don't love those that he has created in his image, we do not have the truth in us. As we conclude, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Jesus makes, he made practical acts of service for the least of these, the defining mark of his ministry, and he calls us to do the same. Jesus could have said that when it comes to the end, that what he's looking for is that we were on the worship team, that we preached, that we served in some capacity in the service, that we knew the doctrines of our faith in and out and how to explain it, that we were really good at praying out loud, or that we were very boisterous and exuberant in our praise and worship. But he didn't say that. He said this, feed the poor, give water to the thirsty, show hospitality to strangers, clothe the naked, visit the sick and the prisoner. He was boundary breaking in his inclusivity of the marginalized and the vulnerable. Jesus has instructed us to love. He has demonstrated how to love. And according to the verses that follow in this passage, he will judge us on how well we love. Today, I I don't want you to hear this as a final judgment on your life. Because your life's not over, you know, and, and God knows all of our hearts. Let's see this more as a a wake-up call. Set things right again if we've gotten off track. My challenge to you today is find someone who seems to be in need. Ask them what they need. And then ask God to help you go and do something to meet their need. It doesn't matter what scale you use. It could be that they are destitute, Or it could be that they've been stripped of their support system and are standing alone right now. Give them the cloak of dignity to cover their vulnerability. It could be that someone's in an actual prison or it could be a prison of their own making bound by spiritual or emotional chains. It could be a stranger. It could be your neighbor. It could be someone who is completely different from you, from a different religion, with different political persuasions, or living a lifestyle that you don't understand or agree with. And that someone could be in your own family. Maybe the hunger and thirst won't be physical as much as it will be spiritual. Ask the Lord to open your eyes and really see them. To see them as Jesus himself, like that statue. 
Ask him to help you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. And then put action to your prayers and go and do something for them. You, despite your needs, despite your weakness, remember it's not about you. It's about Jesus and it's about others. For in as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, can we all put our hand up and say it together? You did it to me. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy in our own lives. What you have done for us is above and beyond. You have given your son to die on a cross for us. We just celebrated that last week. We just talked about how incredible a gift that was. And each and every day we live in that reality that you have saved us, that you have set us free, that we have hope, that we have a future, that you love us. Despite what we're going through, the pain of our lives, Lord, you are with us. And Lord, we pray that we don't just stay there, thinking about ourselves, thinking about what you've done for us. But Lord, we pray that you would help us today to realign ourselves with your calling to see others them the way that you see them to really have our eyes opened to see need to help us to to just stop thinking about ourselves so much that we can barely take the time to really look in somebody's eyes and and ask them about themselves and really want to know and it's not always going to be easy there's so much need so often we feel like there's really nothing that we can do because we're just one person and we don't know if we have what it takes but God you have poured yourself into our lives you have given us everything that we need so we pray Lord that today that we would go out from this place and we pray that you would help us to serve the least of these whatever that would look like as if we are serving you God Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray that every single person in Oakville, in our region, in our world, could know that mercy and grace. In the name of Jesus.